everybody. Welcome to LassoCast. I'm just doing my best John impression because he's always the one that starts it, but they are on vacation this week, so when Dad's away, Kenny will play. Hi, everybody. I am Kenny Madison, uh, one of the co-hosts of LassoCast, uh, and um, I like lamb kebabs. Uh, and with me today is my uh, best friend of the whole wide world and Arisa and co-host... Heidi Rogers, baby! Pretty much mm-hmm. sounding right now like the coach beard to my Ted Lasso. In, boy, yeah, baby! In so, yeah. in so many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And Heidi, you are now in an esteemed club. You're in the three-timers club. <gasps> Each season. Yeah, so now your jacket is in the mail. How does it feel? You know, it's not quite as amazing as hosting SNL for the third time, but mm-hmm. it's pretty close. I mean, if one were to host SNL or be on it or live in New York or just, I'm never been on SNL. I just want to make that very clear. But yeah, it feels pretty great. I'm very honored to have been on every season of Lasso Cast, especially since this May. We'll see. Well, uh, speaking of uh, possibly last seasons, uh, today we've got a special group of people who delivered some earth-shattering news that went viral yesterday. Uh, Heidi, do who do we have today? Well, let me tell you, we have got Coach Beard Book Club. Uh, and if y'all could just go around the horn and introduce who the heck you are, I guess in alphabetical order. That would make me Andrea, number one. Dr. Dre. <laughs> I'm, I'm Marita. And I'm Michaela, and I'm really bad at the alphabet, so I got dead stressed out there, but that's fine. Whew. Hey, that's okay. Uh, and what kind of kebabs does everyone like? Chicken. Big time. I like a kafta kebab. A what? That's the ground lamb one, the one that where they make the ground oh. the lamb patty. I was gonna say the same thing. Yeah, that's I love that one. I really only eat vegetarian Mediterranean stuff, so I a falafel kebab, is that a thing? <laughs> if there was a hummus kebab. Well a pita hummus, hummus kebab. Is kind of too soft. That's what I want. A gluten free pita hummus. <laughs> and you can put falafel balls on a kebab. I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah. I just want just a dripping wet sopping kebab stick. <laughs> just stick that's it in my what, mouth. You... Please stop. That's what the woman from the office that's said. That's what the woman from the office said. <laughs> we are here to discuss season three, episode 11, Mom City. Uh, a story by Brendan Hunt and Jason Sudeikis, tell play by Joe Kelly uh, and director of uh, Declan Lowney who this is his first episode of the season, but he has directed such other episodes as Make Rebecca Great Again, Diamond Dogs, Goodbye Earl, Lavender, Care of the Bells, and Inverting the Pyramid of Success. But before we get into the recap, we like to just touch on a little bit of general Ted Lasso news. Um, first off, like I alluded to, uh, y'all, Coach Beard's Book Club had a tweet that went just a little bit viral last night, which you... Here to elaborate on the possible scoop that y'all scooped. I'm not even convinced it was a scoop, but, um, you know, they always put up the next episode title when the new episode goes live and they just 
listed it as the season finale and not the series finale. And that might just be the in-house style guide. They might never call something a series finale, uh, but they were calling it that on their advertising too. And, you know, as it is the hope that kills you, I think a lot of people are grasping at that. <laughs> some people are arguing back against us. And as ever, when you have a tweet that gets a little bit of attention, some people are being maybe just a little bit of mean, but. Marita, do you know how many people like saw that tweet? Like how many, or like, like, like how many, like you say it went viral. How viral did it go? Well, I don't, I don't think it's viral, viral. Oh. I mean, this is within the- <laughs> right. So it looks like, um, Oh, where is it? I've had a lot to say. It looks like 150,000 people have seen it. I mean, we're, so, we're, and we're a niche and a niche and a niche. Like our, you know what I mean? Like, like we're that's still one show a lot of people. Like, yeah, no, it's certainly more, more play that's than we've ever gotten. Deal. Which, because we are, um, you know, occasionally clever and witty and we'll get like a couple thousand looks. <laughs> that's a big deal. Y'all have gone straight up viral. So yeah, do you guys think, do you think that like they're going to do like a Ted Lasso season four, but call it something else, like start calling it like Greyhound or something because like that? here's the thing, in all of the actors and uh, other interviews and just general materials, everyone has been fairly conclusively, this is it, this is the end, this is the end. But kind of the meta narrative around this season has been wink wink but we really know wink wink which is such a weird game where all of the creatives are going nope this is the end of the story this is the end of the story but everything else story yeah i think is what it is and there's been a lot of deliberate language um but considering that uh most of y'all are doctors (laughs) uh what you know what what is the what is the official doctoral explanation well, I don't know. My read is that Apple doesn't want it to be the last season, no matter who else yes. does, and they sort of control what goes on their user interface. <laughs> um, I think they're doing a suck it, a suck it and see. Because if you watch all the Jason interviews, he doesn't really admit it's over, but he does say like, well, we're not going to talk about season four when season three isn't finished, and likens it to a sports season. So I think it might be a suck it and see sort of thing, like see how many people want it or see how the <laughs> is that not a saying in America? Suck it and see. Suck it and see. Or like suck, it and suck see. what yeah. and see what? Like that's what I'm trying well, to understand. It could go either way. It could, I guess. Suck it and see. It's only hard boiled candy, you know. Suck it and see what flavor. Oh my that's what goodness! That was not where my mind yeah. went, but I'm down. Well, for I could also work for other other things. Yeah. Um, going along with what Michaela's saying, um. Trent Krim said it best, right? Number four doesn't even matter. Mm, yeah. that's, that's how I read his thing. It's sort of like, yeah, sure. When we're talking about total football and all this, the four steps, that fourth one doesn't matter. I think the fourth <gasps> season that's clever. That's matter clever. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all. We discussed that in our last episode, um, which I'm halfway through editing. And uh, I was like, what do you think number four is? Like, try to start a conversation. And then you said that. And I was like, oh. Bex, that's <laughs> oh, genius. Wow. But I think it's another just level of subtext that they do in the show, which is saying yeah. things without saying things. Yeah. I love it. And I, I felt like there's so much of that in this episode. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and before we get into the actual recap itself, uh, also, just want to ask what y'all's general opinion on season three has been. So far, I think it has been a pretty 
divisive season yeah. uh, for folks. Personally, I'm liking this season, but it's not without its flaws. Uh, what do? Uh, we'll start with the book club and end with Heidi. Uh, what are y'all's general opinions on season three so far? I mean, I tend to be a little bit uncritical of things I love, so I might be the wrong person to ask. But I also, you know, we're book nerds. We might be mildly unhappy with certain things in the stories it develops, but you have to see the whole thing and the whole picture before you can really put everything in context and decide, you know, did that belong there? Did that work? We don't know what the yeah. end is yet. We don't know how they're going to, they are brilliant at tying things together and wrapping things up, but I'm having a great time. Um, I also like to, to quote Abed in the last community episode where it's like, if you love a show, you've got to let it have its mistakes. You've got to let it have its possibly bad episodes and you've got to remember that just because you don't like an episode doesn't mean it hasn't hit home for somebody else so that's how I feel about it and yeah I'm a bit like Marita is that I tend to find it hard to be critical about things that bring me so much joy and Ted Lasso does that. I think Ted Lasso as a show has evolved just as the characters have right so we're starting with 30 minute comedies and we're moving up to like 45 minute dramedies now we're in like hour long drama, basically with a little comedy sprinkled in. And all of those pieces can fit together to tell one story and it's okay. If you're looking for it to remain consistent throughout, then maybe you're not as satisfied. I have loved this season. Um, some of the episodes that I've seen the most pushback for, I very much enjoyed them. Were there a couple of things where I was like, oh, I kind of wish we'd done something more with that? Yeah, uh, or or less, right? Uh, I think the biggest one for me would be the Shandy storyline. It just kind of fell after that whole thing. I was like, oh, is she going to come back? Is there going to be something? Now, if there's a spinoff called KJPR, she may be like <laughs> an antagonist. Oh, in nemesis. That's possible, right? A nemesis or what I like. I... And so I'm leaving room for that, as Marita said, like, the story's not finished. And even if this book is over, maybe there's a, a sequel. Yeah, I concur with everything that's been said. I agree. I, and, and like, I've even really struggled with like, getting too immersed in making just like trying to read things or figure out what's happening. Because we don't know. And like, why get all worked up about what you haven't seen or haven't this hasn't happened? Like, literally anything can happen next week any storyline could continue shandy could come back zava could come back right ted becca could happen ted becca could not happen you know ted could leave ted could stay beard could die i, I don't know oh, well, wait, wow. wait, 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 wait. dare you i'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he could. any of them could die the whole cast. He could, could take die. a slice from the loaf of meth yes. and overdose. Oh my God. I have a thing that I found about that. I'll save it for when we get to Ooh. it in the, in the discussion. But outstanding. Uh, now, Rogers, you are definitely on record as saying that season three is uh, one of the best pieces of television ever I in the history of ever. Definitely not said that. Here's the okay. thing. Here's the thing. One, you have to understand that me and my bestie, Kenny, we both have radio, television, film degrees from different universities. So we- Heidi worked for Tommy Shlami for six weeks. I, so. Sure. I was an intern for his intern, basically. But yes. So like, I think that overall, I see film, I see television in a different light and a more critical light. And there's just a lot of layers to it. I also started watching this during the pandemic with Kenny as my roommate. So we watched every episode of the original season and we watched- 
many, if not most of the second and then a few of the third. So I think that just the understanding is, and he was doing this podcast the whole time. I see it with a more critical eye because of that entire, all of those pieces, right? But I will tell you that as critical as I've been of the different seasons and seeing what they do, a lot of my criticism is really more of the overarching Apple once 12 episodes. This is clearly a season that should have been six to eight. You know what I mean? Like they were treading water and it wasn't, it wasn't as good in my opinion throughout the, the middle of the season. I think that, you know, Rebe- Rebecca having like the person who's like telling her future, but then, and like that being a really big deal for certain episodes, but then they've just sort of left a bunch of it and been like, is she going to get knocked up by somebody later? We'll find out. Um, Shandy, I kind of just was like, whatever with her. Um, definitely. I feel like Keely's storyline in general, but also Keely's romance uh, with Jack. I feel like that was just sort of like them just trying to fill the space. So I just think there are a lot of things that I can be critical of. And yet at the same time, I was talking to some friends recently and just all of them across the board. Oh my God, I love just so many, some at work, some, some in my, just different people in my life going, oh my gosh, I love Ted Lasso. Have you seen this? Oh, I've been watching all the seasons. I've been binging them. They're amazing. Each season gets better than the next and realizing and recognizing that so many people do not watch it with the lens that we watch it. And so many people don't have that perspective and that unfortunately being critical and being kind of the way that our minds work, especially as film and TV people, it sort of takes away from the magic sometimes. And I think that that first season was such like magic in the bottle because you had nothing to compare it to. We were also in the pandemic and we were just desperate for positivity and joy. And, and then after that, it's like, cool. And now we're seeing what happens after when you open it up to the zeitgeist and you open it up to not just one season. So that's a long-winded way of saying, yes, I absolutely do not think this season has been what it could be, but I, I definitely see a lot of beauty and joy and some really fantastic episodes within the season. So, Two points. One, uh, Heidi, do I know any of the people that you've been talking to? Yes. Oh, thank goodness. <sighs> getting pretty scared that you're talking to people without me. Uh, and... Point number two, uh, I think Michaela said it best by summing up what Abed said in the series finale of Community. Uh, And I think this is a problem whenever a show becomes a tentpole and becomes a blockbuster, which is all eyes go on the end result, as opposed to what can be so lovely about art in general, which is that it has mistakes. No piece is going to be perfect. And like I started off by saying, I think this show, I think this season has not been a perfect season of TV. And there have been some challenging elements about this season. And also they've been able to achieve something which is pretty darn rare, which is they've been able to do literally do whatever they want in any world where kind of creativity seems to be or at least creativity that gets up to this level of notoriety. Uh, the corners kind of become sanded off more and more and more and more as opposed to Ted Lasso, which seems to have gone even more idiosyncratic in terms of the decisions that it's been making and allowed to go off on these tangents. I don't like all of those tangents necessarily, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the weird paradox of I'm glad that they are able to go on these tangents uh, I like TV. I like thinking about it too much. And I like figuring out what the heck all this stuff means to me. Uh, and on that note, we're going to take a brief break. Uh, and whenever we come back, we're going to dive into mom city. 
this week, our charity shout out comes courtesy of Coach Beard's Book Club, and it is for the Abortion Defense Network. Uh, you can donate money here, and it funds to all abortion organizations across the country. States like Illinois need the support as they are overloaded from surrounding red states, and then the red states need help fighting to get abortion rights back. As a person that lives in a deeply red state, I very much support this charity. Uh, so please go make a donation to abortiondefensenetwork.org and just help out where you can. Thanks. Season 3, Episode 11, Mom City. A uh, quick plot synopsis. An unanticipated guest has Ted on edge. When Richmond travel to Manchester for a big match, Roy and Keeley become concerned about Jamie. Uh, Rogers, which plot line should we start with? What a great question. I think we just need to go right into mom showing up. Ted Lasso's mom showing up. We need to start with Dottie Lasso showing mm-hmm. up. Here's a quick synopsis. Ted's life is going swell. That is until his mother pops in. Dottie Lasso, she flew from Kansas unannounced to spend time with Ted, but Ted's dubious. While Dottie Lasso charms all of Richmond, Ted grows more and more irritated, constantly having to read under Dottie's statements to what she actually needs. After leaving her at home to go play in Manchester, Ted finally confronts Dottie, talking about how unfair it was to grow up in a home where the one parent left uh, refused to take care of herself. His whole now unburdened, Ted makes a startling confession to Rebecca. What do we think the startling confession is? Personally, I think it's going to be that Santa is canon and that he's going to play for Richmond next season. No, Isaac Santa. Santa Claus I, is canon. All right. No, you wasn't. I just said you're obsessed with it. Look, you introduce Santa as a character. You got to make him a main character. I don't understand Do why the show. Do you? Yes. Santa Claus is real. Just like whenever it happened in ER and ER became one of the uh, doctors in season 15. ER did or Santa? ER. Just, Santa, okay, a, a practicing doctor in the last season. That's and no one watched it, so no one can argue with it. I me. did, and that de- definitely didn't happen. Uh, Kenny, I'm just curious, really quickly. Um, <laughs> did you're you're from the Midwest? You're an Oklahomian. Uh, what if this relationship with Ted and his mom rang true for you? If if anything, <sighs> I know my friend too well, and I'm gonna go into it. You you are You're like Beard and Ted used to. Uh-huh. Very much so. But I, I believe, at least in our social dynamics, uh, I very much practice the beard kind of quiet. You have a beard. I do. That's true. I have the receding hairline, just like Beard. Uh, but don't tell Brandon Han I said that. One of the things that resonates with me regarding Ted Lasso so much is especially the seeing under the toxic positivity of it all as a person from the South, although some people might argue that Oklahoma is the Midwest, which is a baffling statement. Um, either way, something that I recognize so much is the Ted Lasso ethos of take care of everyone else first, take care of yourself dead last. And that is something that I have seen in family members. Um, specifically with very close family members who have been at rock bottom in the bottom of depression 
but would rather suffer in solitude than bother anyone, period. And so to see Ted confront that over the course of this series, I see myself most in Ted Lasso. Uh, I, I see myself questioning what my worth is if I don't necessarily have a problem to solve, which has been interesting. Um, and then uh, his relationship with his mother um, is complicated. And um, while well, I don't necessarily want to go into too much of it. Why? <laughs> in in public, uh, because I think that I, I deserve certain uh, family members uh, a face statement before I talk to strangers about it. Uh, I, I, I think the, at, at one point I cut contact with my mom for nine months. So to ha- say that we have a uh, complicated relationship. Uh, yeah, you can say that we have a complicated relationship. I think it was whenever I, whenever Heidi finally met my mom was like, your mom's funny. And honest to God, I never saw that. Wow, that's so before. similar to Ted and his mom. There, oh my gosh. It was to like point- watching real life unfolding in front of me. I was like, oh, oh my yeah. God. Because Ted totally and his mom. <laughs> he starts telling the jokes that he would normally tell, and he starts rolling his eyes at them. Yep. And yeah. so that beat. He does, yeah. She does that whole thing when she meets Rebecca about like, oh, I'd love to see blah blah blah, and she's like, no, I mean the facility. Like, I can, yeah, right. you know, and, and that's literally what what Ted had done on his first day, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's human nature to um, hate the thing you actually see in yourself and other people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I have to say, I I love how they just dove right in with the Wizard of Oz reference. Naming her Dottie was just. Right, that is short for Dorothy, um, right? Dorothy. Lottie Dottie. Yeah. She liked Dottie. Sorry, what is the Wizard of Oz? Is it just it's just referring to him and his mom and their dynamic, or did I miss something? I know that's the pinball. What was that? It like he's like he's Dorothy, and or what's the, he's the wizard? He's the wizard. Uh, I think that's my that's my take. Interesting. But Roy is the Tin Man, Beard is the Scarecrow, and Nate is the Lion. And in the what? final scene of the Wizard of Oz. In the final scene of The Wizard of Oz, when the wizard says, hey, while I'm gone, these three are in charge, and here's why. When Ted goes, and this is why I see him as the wizard, then those other three, the heart, the brains, and the courage, are going to be able to lead together in a way that they couldn't have done at the start of the story. Holy Bex, crap, Bex. We don't know if Ted's going to leave. He's 100% leaving. I'd have to leave. Yeah, totally. 10 out of 10 we don't, be leaving. Hey, we don't know. We do know. He could be saying, "He could be saying, hey, Santa's coming to play.' That he's leaving. Ten out of I mean, ten, he's leaving. Because here's and the they're going to continue the show without him. And see well, unless if it unless <laughs> his son decides to like, I want to be in London, but then that takes him away from his mother, and I think that wouldn't work for Ted either. That's not something that he'd be okay with. So honestly, if they had wanted it to mean anything else, they would have let us see that scene. I and think you know so. what? Maybe of they course. will. Maybe in the last episode, we'll start right at that point and, and we'll have that conversation. But the way that the way that the two were standing. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> opposite of the way that. Yep. It always is. One and two. Mm-hmm. His news is going to be relationship dynamic changing. And that is mm-hmm. that he 
it can it can't be anything else. I mean, no. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, correct. So many hills I'm willing to like concede, but that's one of those. I don't oh, know. yeah, of course. Yeah, back to your analysis of the the Wizard of Oz. Thank you for for simple folk like me who just did not catch that. It, well, it starts with the literally the pilot where they're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ted literally says we're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, I, Ted is the wizard, but surely it would be think. Ted as Dorothy because he Dorothy comes in and changes everything and helps kind of repair the world. I thought Beard was total. <laughs> You all are destroying a future podcast episode. I'm so sorry, Marina. So sorry to take your content away. <laughs> but really quickly, before we, we continue, I want to move back really quickly on the thread of moms and children and, you know, what this entire episode is about, really. I think you, you're you correct, whomever said it. I think it may have been you, uh, Maria, which is, you know, we see in others sometimes, like, when it's us, we're fine. But when we see it in others, it's like, like the thing that, you know, is either the thing we like about ourselves or don't like, we're just like, oh God, devastation. Like Ted is always going over the top and saying things that are not entirely tr- true in the truth. Like they're, they're jokes and they're like little bits. And then his mom does it and he's just like, it's not true. It's not, he's a fraud it's not true, mom. It's not true. And it's just, it's the most true, real relationship between a mom and a son, I think it's, I've uh, I've seen in television a very long time. My, well, and I, my mom, uh, charitably, uh, as 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 my dad would say so often, uh, my mom embellished, and very <laughs> often I would have to go to family members and go, "That's not, not true. quite true." No, but the poop Which candy be... bar is a callback, right? Like, yes, said, it is. Little Ronnie yeah. Fouch, yeah, Ronnie t- Fouch and guess uh, up to be. He's like, and a couple people ate it. Yeah, baby, we're saying, and it. But yeah, it really is. It really is so true. And it is just watching this, knowing Kenny so well, just again, is is seeing that of going, I met his mom and she's hilarious. And I'm like, oh, Kenny, you get, and I've known, I met his dad too. You get all your sense of humor from your mom. Your mom and he had just humor. never seen that before. And I was just like, how? Immediately, that was the thing that I was like, oh, your gift, your greatest gift, which is, you know, sharing your humor and your personality with the world is this gift from your mom, regardless of whatever else is going on. That's a gift. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and Ted doesn't see it either in this moment. And yet it's so obvious to the rest of us, like, oh, thank God she exists because that's why we get Ted. I have to say, like, it goes back to um, the episode where they meet Deborah, right? And, um, and Ted says that he loves meeting people's moms because it's like reading an instruction manual as to why they're not <laughs> true. Here we finally get to see why Ted is nuts, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. This is what makes Ted who he is, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Yeah. Completely. I mean, she, yeah, like everything, even just like the peanut butter and like the confusion about like the the pictures on the oven. That was so cute. Like, like they just, they, yeah, they shared everything. Finger in the peanut butter, though multiple fingers in the same jar. Disgusting. No, I just wanted to add, and I love the the initial interplay between Ted and his mom because they're clearly so in tune, like y'all were talking about. Mm-hmm. They play him as him having less chemistry or less ease with her than anyone else. Literally, he encounters on the show. Even Doctor Sharon. <laughs> When they're talking about about to leave the apartment, and she's like quoting the lyrics from "On the Sunny Side of the Street," 
and he redirects her with he continues the lyrics right and he's just like yeah well direct your feet in this direction and he's clearly just like cringe no the visceral no the noise he makes when he's walking out of rebecca's office and she's like going away with and he's like oh i also love because they, <laughs> they have her you know clearly being kind of anti-therapist anti-psychologist but when she does the tedism and says winner winner bf skinner he's a psychologist right <laughs> fucking love that <laughs> okay, I read I here's here's what I looked up. BF Skinner <clears throat> was the father of radical behaviorism, a belief that too long did not read, suggests that there is no such thing as free will, but instead a system of complex stimuli that provide the suggestion of free will to the human. To which then immediately made me ask the question for someone who is unwilling to discuss what the heck is going on with her son, how the heck does she know who BF Skinner is? To which I then remembered that my mom uh, while being an extraordinarily conservative person, uh, religiously devours uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, yes. Outlander, wow. uh, yes. and basically any TV show <laughs> where there are hotties with long hair. Hotties with body. Uh, hotties with body, la da That might seem out of character, but again, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this thread, but I just see so much of me and my mom here in this episode. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, it's pretty subtle. It's super um, subtle. It's pretty subtle. Um, and there are just those weird idiosyncrasies where it alludes to a greater life outside of the persona that your parental figure just puts up. And it's just weird. It just opens up so many other questions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It definitely got me thinking about my relationship with my mother. And like, I have a bunch of sisters. And so if I call and talk to one and be like, oh, hey, so yeah, you know, like that thing you said, you sounded just like mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, what did I? <laughs> Different. And it's like, no, no, you're, you've got more in common than you'd like to admit. <laughs> oh, and I was going to say, like, and it's interesting, my, my mom is from South America, where she is also very used to being the caretaker to a point like my mom has Alzheimer's. And wh- the only thing she remembers, though, is that she's in charge. Right. So like I go there and she can't take care of anything, do anything. And she's just like, all right, Andre, like, you know, comes in full, like, you know, you have to do this. You have to make sure you're taking care of this. Like, and it's all about taking care of everybody else. She's like in a, in a home, like, you know, and she's just like, I'm fine. Like, this is about, you know, like, okay, you, know, you got to make sure your brothers are doing this. You got to, you know, like, she's like, okay, mom. <laughs> it's such an interesting juxtaposition to like Jamie and his mom, which is a different dynamic that I don't relate to as much, but I think about, it's not Jamie, I'm sorry. Uh, No, yeah, Jamie Tart, his mom that we see later on in the episode. And one, she looks very young. She's in very good shape. She's dressed, I would not say provocatively, but just not like we see quote unquote moms, like Ted's mom's like, that's a mom. And then we see Jamie's mom. And it's just like, oh, she's wearing like a tank top and she's like kind of hot and not kind of, she is hot. She's clearly not that old. She probably had Jamie when she was really young. Um, They have more of a friendship dynamic than anything else. Yeah. Very much that like, mom, I'll just lay right on you. Like, you know, and which I'm sure people like Kenny Madison don't like at all because he's like, ah, it's gross. And it makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I know you, Kenny, but, and I was watching it through your lens, but watching that later on, for me, I don't relate to that relationship as much because that's not something that's familiar to me. However, I bet you, and I was like, this one doesn't ring as true. And I'm like, and yet this one was also written into the show. So whose mm-hmm. mom is this? 
my mom and my dynamic is probably closer to Ted and his mom, whereas mm-hmm. my sister with my mom is more like Jamie and his wow, mom. Wow, that's sister. super interesting. Yeah, it, but it is interesting to see like these totally different dynamics and the way that people react and the way that people embrace. And you've got, you know, a mom like Jamie's mom, who's just very affectionate. I mean, it's literally the opposite of Ted's mom. She kind of just says it like it is. She's super supportive and she's just kind of happy to, you know, be there for him and just listen. And it's just like, wow, look at the wildly different dynamics of, of moms that exist. And those are just two examples, you know? I'm so glad we got to meet Jamie's mom because I remember mm-hmm. the book that he was putting into the, the fire and the, the ghosty episode. And he said, you know, my mom bought me these boots and, and I wanted to make her proud, but I don't think I've been doing that lately. And at the time, we didn't know if, if she had passed or if... Well, I'm mm-hmm. so glad to her and see her and see how supportive she is. Because I think as well, young mothers um, can often be sort of stigmatised. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we're getting is a, a mother who's obviously had her son very young and she's a damn good mother. She's, you mm-hmm. know, it didn't make any difference. She wasn't like, you know, it's just, especially in Britain, the kind of stigma to young mothers. So it was really nice to see that. I also love how they sort of switched the gender roles between his mum and his stepdad. Yeah. Bacon, him and Ted would go on great bacon biscuits together. That really made me quite happy. Yeah, for really, oh, for really yeah. anyone who has had to deal with a James Tart, like I wish them a Simon. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. That's what they deserve. That's what they deserve. And uh, it's so nice to before, see that she has that. I know we've already gotten uh, pr- pretty deep into Jamie's storyline, uh, but is there anything else regarding the Ted storyline? Like right at the end, I had some thoughts. And first of all, having had sort of a, a relationship with my parents, one of my parents in particular, that I was able to mend by really setting some really clear boundaries isn't even the right word, but having some very frank conversations, Ted could have never had the thank you, fuck you moment with his mom without Dr. Sharon. And I fucking love that. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned, you know, this entire time, starting with the first episode, Ted doesn't like ties. Ties are a confounding theme through season two, right? And now we're finding out that the grand metaphor of the show, right, is most of the time you just tie, right? It's brought that all together with the actually, you're, you're playing for the tie, right? All we can do is keep well, playing. Absolutely fucking love that. And I would like to draw attention to me, me's delivery of the Philip Larkin poem um, yes. by the Pinball Machine, because that is probably, and I'm a big May fan, that's my all-time favorite May moment. That was beautifully delivered, really impactful, and I just, I love her so much. I want me to be my mother. Uh, Michaela, anytime that you're looking for someone to dispense wisdom, do you just look at the TV and go, it's going to be May? She's the Yoda. Gonna it's going to be May. Oh. Kenny, go take a lap. May the 4th. Uh, John, who is uh, at Singing Regret, um, pointed out, and I it, vaguely, that, that poem sounded vaguely familiar, but that's actually used by the family therapist in the first season of Succession. He <gasps> never seen um, oh, Heidi just got so excited. And I, I see Andrea has something to say. I also wanted to add that Ted's mom left with just a note. <laughs> she stole his move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Andrea, you got a piece out? I do, I do. I wanted to make one. There was one thing I wanted to say about Nate. And I know that you were saying if anyone had anything more about Ted. And clearly people don't. <laughs> but I did have one thing I really wanted to say about Nate before I go. And that is. The, th- the three people who came to get him 
were the two people who mocked him the most, right? It was Isaac and Colin, and then Will, who he had mocked. Mm. And Nate was so touched by that, but then couldn't get past Nate. Like, I mean, sorry, couldn't get past Ted. The fact that Ted didn't instigate that. I kind of love that almost like I know Ted didn't send them. That was like their they I think Higgins actually said I sent some I sent some people like I sent I can't remember how he worded it. Little birds like he said little birds like a butt like came the guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then <laughs> basically Ted sent Nate. I mean, oh, my God, I'm getting all the names. You know me and my book club knows me in names. I will forever get everyone's yeah. name wrong. Um, Ted ends up setting sending Beard. Right to go. No, Beard ends up going on his own volition. I would agree that I would agree that Ted maybe sent him a bit. Ted he was persuaded to... him through showing that video, but he never said like yeah. Beard don't talk to him. No, no, I know he didn't yeah. send him, but yeah, he did. Exactly. Like, yeah, he, he didn't does. send him. He knew mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, Andrea. He, he, he knew what he was doing. To to bring it around, uh, he did what Dottie does, which is oh I'm fine. Oh don't worry about it. Oh it's all okay. Really, she actually wants something, but is never going to come directly mm-hmm. out. Well, that's one of the things it. I wanted to mention about his mother, too, is that like when she says, oh, I have something for you. And it's the, the news clippings and everything. He says, what, on the off chance we'd bump into each other? Because she had made it seem like up till then, like, oh, I'm just on a vacation for me. And it's just a coincidence that I saw you. And it's like that sort of like passive aggressive it's passive like, aggressive. yeah but especially like the clippings had his panic attack clipping right up front <laughs> Jesus. It wasn't such a mom such a mom move Jeez. and also a move of someone who wants to ask more about that but then of mm. course the minute she does ask she hears about therapy and she pulls the same oh card. i guess it's my fault i guess mm. it's my you know, that's fault. Which, uh, you know how many how many like instagram reels and tiktoks that my sisters send me <laughs> with those kind of videos in it with like the the passive aggressive parents like that like oh no you know like that's something i think that probably resonates with a lot of a lot of viewers uh god bless my dad but whenever i said that i was in therapy he i'm paraphrasing but he pretty much said is 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 it my fault did i do anything Mm-hmm. wrong and i had to be like n- no uh as opposed to like it's a more complex complicated answer of it's a it's a list of a whole bunch of things and don't feel bad but there's no quick easy way to be like <laughs> feel better man passes on misery to man uh i was gonna say exactly the same thing <laughs> in regards to ted just before we move on um there's a scene in the middle. This is kind of getting off the mom thing, but there's the scene when they're they're going to play Man City the next day, and they're all sitting and they're watching the movie, the um, You've Got Mail, Nor Nor Efron movie, and uh, <laughs> and there's a scene. I actually recorded it and sent it to Kenny, and it was like, is this my favorite scene in all of Ted Lasso, or maybe of all time? And it's basically just him leaning over to Beard and just being like, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle is still a superior film, and I'm just like. 10 and he's like not the time it's like 10 out of 10 that is correct um and i just loved it because as he's leaving he's like they're like moving yeah guys have you ever seen sleepless in seattle yeah and i'm just like like an, oh. and i just love those moments where i'm like that's not ted that's 1000 percent the writers just inserting their beliefs and opinions 
but it's so fantastic. And those are the moments for me that make me just adore this show so much, which is that sometimes some shows are really loud with their meta. And this show is really good about blending it nicely. Um, Like Mm -hmm. you said before, I think earlier in our conversation, one of you had said, you know, talking about the the four rules and the fourth one doesn't really matter, right? I absolutely now I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely, they're talking about the fourth season. Like if you're a really hardcore person, like all of us who are like reading into everything, you're, you're picking that all up. But for other people, I mean, it's just, it's, they don't see it. They don't know. And, and it's so beautiful to watch that. And I just love it. I love it when the writers and when the characters and that meta sort of thing melts so nicely. Yeah. So since we're talking about the the movie, just quickly, I wanted to point out, so, you know, you've got mail. This isn't the first reference, right? We get the reference in the dartboard scene in the first season, right? When he says he'd like to be sitting under a weighted blanket with a box of snookers watching You've Got Mail, right? And so you notice <laughs> everyone else has popcorn and snacks and they're super comfortable. And this is just another great way of showing that Ted is not where he should be right now because he's sitting there with nothing, certainly not his weighted blanket and box of snookers, right? Watching the movie. I, I just kind of mm-hmm. love that little detail that he's the mm. one not settled in. He doesn't have the box of tissues that they're handing out. He doesn't have the popcorn that everyone else has. He doesn't have those comfort items. He is not where he's supposed to be. Mm. And then the movie ending with somewhere over the rainbow. Just nice. all, all of those things being so, maybe not necessarily deliberate, but using the serendipity pointedly. <laughs> uh, there's got to be so many other mitigating factors that have to line that up so they can be like, mm, yep symbolism which is outstanding right i also adore that all the guys in the room are fully invested in the film crying their eyes out and keely is asleep yes <laughs> god bless love it love her and, you know there's already a bunch on twitter about the you know the the little look that sam gives rebecca with the i wanted it to be you line um i don't think we need oh. to dive into that so hard but uh, although bex seems to have an opinion <laughs> <laughs> Considering that their screen names on banter were allusions to freaking You Got Mail with his being LDN 152 and her being, it was Shop Girl, wasn't it? I don't remember. Was it? I thought it was sorry, something sunny. London. London was in. In, in his. Yeah, yeah, it was Boss Girl. That's Boss what girl. it was. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. Y'all are such nerds and I love it so much. Y'all go so hard into the details. I'm more of like feeling feelings and I'm like, y'all are like, but this in the first episode and the thing. And I'm just like, oh, hardcore. Y'all are hardcore. I love it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of hardcore, uh, just some quick candle nuggets on my end. Uh, Dottie, friends don't shake hands, they hug. Sounds like my mom. Uh, mm-hmm. Irish Barn Topeka. In my quick research, it's either going to be Ryan's Pub, Celtic Fox, or Francis O'Dooley. Hmm? I, I looked that up too, Kenny. I was looking for some real obvious name, but yeah. Thank you. There was a moment where when she said that line, um, the subtitles were off from from what uh, Ted said. It was like, you better not... It said something about like, you shouldn't tell me or something, but it was May. You shouldn't tell oh, yeah. May. And I'm like, yeah, you don't tell her that it, like an Irish of in Kansas is like her. No. Yeah. She's like, mm, I'm just going to have to move on from that one. Uh, let's see. Beer quoting goodbye yellow brick road under his breath. Yeah, well, and then uh, the, the Lottie Dottie, the 
what that's Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh, right? That song when they all met Ted's mother, Lottie Dottie, she likes to party. I was not aware that that was oh, a yeah. uh, song. Yeah, also, also Dog did it as well. Yeah, it reminded me of something, but I I know I knew I'd heard it before, but I couldn't place it whatsoever. But I've heard it before. Yeah, no, that's what it was from. Uh, Daddy Lasso loves tea. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and yes. A big difference. What? <laughs> why Ted maybe like why it. he doesn't like it exactly. <laughs> well, at first I was like, oh, this is a little bit too much of a co- coincidence. Then I remember that I hate coffee. <laughs> yeah, you're weirdo. And my mom loves coffee. Um, and then uh, the end credits. The credits are accompanied by a Brandy Carlisle cover mm-hmm. of Home from the 1978 movie. The Wiz, and I found that from Christopher Orr's recap of the New York nice. Times. And those are my Kendall Nuggets. Uh, shall we move on, considering that we've talked to it, talked about it a little bit more? Uh, is the Roy, Keeley, and Jamie storyline. Mm-hmm. Here's a quick synopsis. Apple TV Plus's favorite couple is back. Or are Ooh. they? They might be just <sighs> friends. Speaking of just friends, Roy notices that Jamie's special zhuzh is gone. He can't access being a prick anymore because of growing beyond his father, leading to Jamie breaking down in the boot room. Roy tries to do something but can't do anything. Keely tries to do something but can't do anything. But they stop their rehabbing efforts when they go to Manchester, where they see Jamie flee into the night of the blue moon, stumbling to Jamie's childhood home. Jamie sees them, and Roy proceeds to A, try to get with Jamie's fit mom, and B, tells Keely he wants to be more than friends. Also, Jamie and his mom are weirdly close. Finally, Ted is able to get Jamie back into the zone by telling him to forgive his dad and gives Jamie an opportunity to metaphorically dunk on Manchester. Also, will Roy, Keely, and Jamie become a throuple? Thoughts? Good lord. Well, so my first thought is is a purely production-related one, but when Jamie and Roy are in the boot room and Jamie has like his fingers in Roy's cheek and he's screaming, where the fuck are me wings, Roy? How many takes do you think that took before Brett Goldstein did? Oh, one thousand. <laughs> It was so obvious that that had nothing to do with the character and had everything to do with the actors to me because I was just re I think I sent Kenny a like a thing I'd seen online where it was like the poop thing in the earlier in the season where he said the poop he was just doing that it was not scripted it was just to f with Brett Goldstein trying to make him laugh so it's like this is nothing to do with this actual character this is so over the top. It's absolutely just the actor trying to mess with Brett Goldstein, which I'm fine with. (laughs) I am here for it, but it was so not a character thing in my opinion. I mean, (laughs) Jamie doesn't know who Sisyphus is because of course he doesn't, right? But he's like, you know, (laughs) the Red Bull commercial. (laughs) Oh my God, bless his sweet little heart. I love that Jamie has progressed uh, and at the same time we get all of these various Jamie-isms as well. Just making him completely uh, clueless <laughs> about his mom things. calling him a sexy baby. What oh, the that fuck? That's a callback. That's a callback. That was so weird. No, that was the only he part I went. Him. I'm fine with all of this. And then I was like, Oh, honey. I I, I wanted to She's hop back cool. to the boot room. I love the little when when Roy tells Will just coming in that he missed a good one because so far Will has always played it like he's just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. But then Roy's like, he missed a good one, and Will gives this little damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I love how when they came into the room, Roy actually did a quick look for Will. This for Will, no one has ever done before. Like they, they just jump into their conversation like it's a private space, and then Will's yeah. there. So this time, he checked it. 
I like the moment right before it when Roy noticed that something was wrong with him, you know, and he's like, Oi, tart in the in the boot room, you know, I don't yell um at, like that. But uh Ted's mom being like, Ooh, someone's in trouble. I think the best line came from Trent there with when he said that like shouting is shouting is Roy's love language. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. So and true. Honestly, if you listen to our episode that will be coming out the same day as this. Uh, I think so. This comes out uh, on Monday. Yeah. Monday. So I think ours should go. Well, maybe you've already listened to ours because we drop ours in the morning. Um, that that I kind of talk about like the different strengths and weaknesses of the coaching staff at Richmond. And I think um, that bit about Roy shouting comes into play here. Well, this is also the, one of the great things that I praised Ted Lasso on so many times, which is that it's really easy to just depict anger as just a complete blanket negative. Not with Roy. Roy mm-hmm. is very in touch with anger and very rarely has that has that anger been out of control. It's always been a very controlled anger. It's been productive anger that has been used to help folks. Uh, and I just love that Trent going, no, it's his love language because everyone gets it and everyone is comfortable with Roy's anger. Uh-huh. As opposed to Ted Lasso, where his big journey is being able to articulate his his anger to his situation. Any emotion to... that's not happiness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would love to raise a couple of points in the joy in the the Jamie Roy Keeley that I've noticed. Um, and the the two different ones. The first one is that when Roy visits Keeley's office, Keeley is no longer in her office with the window that that blacks her out. Her desk with Barbara is set up exactly like Ted and yes. Bruce's desks. I did oh, not notice so that. Was... Oh, and so cute! I love it. I, I wanted to add there. We get so little of Babs. But every time we get a little bit from her, I love her so much that I love Chloe. I didn't know what to do with her at first, but now I am digging I love her. Crap but he thought her. she was in a porno when Roy turned yeah, up. She's okay. like, you hear it fix the pipes. And I was like, oh, But I yeah. also love she, that she does that thing that so many women do when she, she well, she fishes for the compliment from Roy. She gets it, right? And then she, she does that thing where you don't brag about how expensive the clothes are. You, you brag about how little you paid for them. <laughs> she mm, bought it for yeah, two yeah. pounds outside from Your a- car boots do. It's such a woman. Like I was like, man, a woman mm-hmm. wrote that one yeah, like, a thousand percent. I like what what you said about um, the Roy and Barbara, dy- or not Roy, excuse me, um, the Keeley and Barbara dynamic. Can you? Yeah, I just as as soon as I saw the desks, I was like, no, no, Keely- I'm like their relationship. Like, oh yeah, like symbolic of Keeley is ADHD and Barbara is autism in the flesh, and that's and that, I love them. Yeah. And I can't, um, I'm- that ever no. said that I'm like yeah oh, yeah because yeah, yeah. I have I have ADHD and I've always recognized that within Keely and obviously Barbara has some autistic traits and the two of them together are just like a beautiful new neurodivergent sandwich yeah. of joy and I love them I love Barbara so much I'm not going to call her Babs because she doesn't like it she's said to us that she wants to be called Barbara so I'm going to respect that but her in that ju- juicy tracksuit when she's like, I like my clothes to be honest. Oh, fuck yes. Just, just. <laughs> As Mikaela leans back and just kind of really gets comfortable against that back wall right there. Here you, know? you go. Um, my second point is that when Kaylee tries to help Jamie in his hotel room, 
the scene is set up exactly the way it was when Jamie and her were at Jamie's house and he was dressing for the gala. And she was sat on the back of the couch and she was standing by the window with his shirt off and she was trying to help him. And this was set up exactly the same. She was sitting on the back of the couch. Jamie was standing by the window. But this time things went quite differently. Jamie was the one that was like, I know what I'm doing here. Takes his shirt off. Quite right, he does. He said, I was fine with that. (laughs) Quite right, he does. Absolutely fine with it. Um, The same way as I was very happy with some of the angles of Jamie playing football. But that's a different story. So, yeah, I just thought they'd set that up. I have really a couple well. thoughts about that scene, and one of them is like a, a nerd deep dive, so please forgive this. But the song that you, you hear... What? This is... You're, you're on LassoCast. This is the place. Okay, so the, the song that... This is your spot. As the bus pulls in, right? That Manchester, England, England. Of course, it's perfectly in place because that's where they're at. That's, that's from the musical Hair, right? So we immediately go into that scene with Keely and Jamie, and the thing that really upsets him is her telling him that they've been shit-talking his hair. Yeah, that's amazing. He's wall. What is it? Walnut. Walnut West. She's something. like telling him all this stuff, and like you know, oh, and your dad's gonna be there, and like all this stuff that's freaking him out. And all I could think is back to the like the first season when he when Keely's trying to explain to Ted how to work with Jamie, and he responds to positive reinforcement. I'm like, no, low job, right? Jeez, Louise. Oh man, Jamie has grown so much. I think he's the character that has grown the most in this entire show, more than Ted, more Mm -hmm. than anybody, because the way he thinks, the way he interacts with the world, it genuinely feels like somebody who really has realized, like they're still fully who they are. He's fully a sexy baby. Like he know he's still that guy, but he truly loves his teammates and other people where he's recognized how he needs to improve his relationship with Keely and just, I think women in general has improved. I mean, obviously him and Roy's friendship, so unexpected. I'll be honest with you. I did not see that coming. I thought that they would maybe like garner a respect for each other, but I never saw that friendship coming. And it has been one of the greatest gifts of Ted Lasso, to be honest with you, and probably my favorite part of this third season. Um, but it's just him yeah. learning how to use his emotions. It's just yeah. so wonderful. It from is. Going from blocking them out to yeah. learning how to use them. Mm-hmm. And all of that, like, he's a lot more introspective now. Um just thoughtful just um you know even trying to process things right when he's in that hotel room with keely and he's like suitcases are weird you know uh it's like, <laughs> like a drawer with without home. Oh, it's like Jamie. a drawer without a home and and that's just one of those lines where it's like you're so right and it's like reflective of him not feeling like he has a spot right because mm. he doesn't know where he is at that moment his whole career has been about proving his dad wrong or like defying him Mm -hmm. uh now suddenly he doesn't have that element any longer and he's like i don't know what what's driving me to do this right and it's like i don't even have a home i'm living out of a suitcase half the time i mean Mm -hmm. he does have a home yeah it's very nice house all socks just if anybody else wants to check that out, it was all socks. I was like, Jamie, bless his how many stupid pairs little heart. Oh, I didn't Need. have a single pair of underwear in there. Um, <laughs> it's interesting too this this episode that's all about moms and mothering in general, and then you, which I would argue, Keely is also in a mothering kind of position here, even though she's not a quote unquote mom. Um, and Rebecca, are you going ways, to get drugs? Says Tim. When she says, "You want to get drugs?" That's a mom. Drugs. But it's interesting how almost everything that 
is being inter- interacted the guys with their moms ultimately goes back to stuff with the dads and i think that that yeah. says a lot about men and boys again not all of course that, that would be a, a broad generalization but i think a lot of what moms or mother type folks end up doing is helping guys get out of their shell and kind of get back to the what about your dad what about that relationship with your dad what what is it there that you're you're still struggling with and they're kind of helping coax that out of them um and that's not true of everyone obviously but you know ted ultimately is like fuck you for not dealing with the fact that my dad killed himself you know jamie is like you know mom you know all of his stuff with his dad and not getting that approval and all of that stuff, you know, and I feel like in other episodes too, we've had that lot. like the last episode we had Nate and Nate was dealing with stuff with his dad. And it's just like, and the mom's trying to mother him. She's giving him food and she's, you know, bringing them to, and it's all that stuff to care for him. But ultimately what he needs is that conversation with his dad. And so I think that's just a very interesting thing. Even though there's a lot of stuff about moms going on, there's also a lot about the dads as well. Rogers, I think it was in the text exchange uh, that we were having last night, but talking about how rich this plotline was. Mm. Uh, not just uh, Jamie and his mom, but also Ted and his mom. And kind of talking about one of the, I think, well-founded criticisms for this season is that those pieces feel so rich that I wish it wasn't explored in just one Gosh. episode because the there like is two. so much <laughs> there, there is so much to say mm-hmm. here and it can feel his Ted's mom literally shows up out of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, and comes in and there's a lot it, it kind of felt like an invention at first but much like Ted's seemingly being against therapy at the beginning of season two there's actually a lot to unpack there that creates uh, the entire package of mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's so rich. And similarly, Jamie and his relationship with his dad, I kind of would have loved to see more mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, there's a lot of um, wasted I... time. A lot of wasted time in this season. It needed to be eight episodes. End of discussion. Well, so I mentioned to you uh, a couple of episodes back when we saw Jade reading Kafka on the Shore, right? One of the things that's going on in that book, which we're going to discuss in Book Club coming up, is like this this kid is having an Oedipal crisis, right? Um, Oedipal or Oedipus? Well, they did order 75 kebabs instantly. (laughs) That is an Oedipal complex. Or this curse. He's, He's, you know... Are you going to murder your father and marry your mother effectively? And I commented on that with Nate because, right, he's got these issues with his dad, but then he's trying out his uh, pickup lines with his mom, right? And But then we get Jamie's interaction with his mom and the sort of implication, at least for a small portion of the show, where you think his father's dead. And I'm like, wow, are we kind of going Oedipus in like, multiple storylines? Because I, I think that that scene with Jamie, and I, for me, the whole scene at Jamie's mom's house just read so weird. Like, what the fuck was going on with Roy? <laughs> like, there was something there. Um, but yeah, the uh, they were very close, and and like you said, clearly close together in age. Like, their closeness all, almost kind of made me uncomfortable. And I'm sure it's probably generational in the relationships we have with our own parents that would inform mm-hmm. people. Action, agreed. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah. something funny about Jamie wanting to fuck 
um, Roy's sister and Roy wanting to fuck James' mom. <laughs> yeah. And still wanting to be with Kaylee. I'm like, both things can exist at the yeah. same time, just, buddy. And of course, you know, like Ted <laughs> talking early on when he's trying to talk to them, I think at the gala, talking about not wanting his best friend to know he had a crush on his sister. Um, mm-hmm. I also, there was a, a throwaway line in here that um, was when Jamie was talking to his mom. So like last season, Roy got really offended when someone said he was wearing black and it was dark Heather charcoal, right? Oh, so yeah, right. now, now Jamie's offended because people online kept saying his hair was blonde and it's fucking walnut mist. It's walnut, <laughs> walnut fucking mist. I think, I think the thing about mothers and sons, and I've seen this in a lot of, of series and things like that. And obviously I don't, you know, I, I'm, daughter and I'm daughter and my sister and there are no boys in our family, but now I have nephew and I'm like, Oh, it's gonna be so interesting to see like what his dynamics with having a mom and a dad and like what that is growing up. But I know for a fact that especially young moms, especially young single moms, which she definitely was, even if his dad was around, he was not around. Um, yeah. you know, so is that you do sort of end up and here's the thing. I do not think in any way, shape or form, their relationship is actually inappropriate. Like, sexually or anything like that. I do not feel like that is what it is reading. I feel it is like, this is a relationship where there was no dad. So you end up being more affectionate with your son. There's no dad. You know, you end up being really close with your mom. I don't think it's gross weird, right? I think it's just that thing of like, oh, that's uncomfortable because they are so close. And it's like, yeah, there were probably emotional things that they were both needed in each other that you- years apart right exactly they're 16 17 years apart so it's like there are definitely emotional things and and things Mm -hmm. going on there that probably were not in the right place and now that she has a loving you know her age husband who clearly is great Mm -hmm. she's probably getting those needs met so he really needs her more than but you know i think that dynamic is still there and he's still very much like a baby like he's literally like laying on her chest it's like a little baby yeah i know it is weird but it's like I do think, though, that it's a joke. Like, I, I mean, just... It has, for, for the, it's a quote. It, it is. I definitely think it's not. But I understand why some people go, like... And even me sometimes was going, I know that I don't think there's anything wrong going on here, and I don't think there ever was, but it is that yeah. kind of discomfort in that type of, of feeling. Um, but really quickly, one more thing that I just have to say, language. Um, the one thing I really do have to say, though, about, again, parents, fathers, sons, mothers... The one big relationship of fathers, sons, and mothers is Ted. Ted is a father, and his wife, is a, or his ex-wife now, is a mother. And that is the one, you know, father, mother, son relationship that's gone throughout this entire series. And we don't always explore it as much because obviously mom's overseas. They split up. It was more about their marriage. But ultimately, the most powerful part, I think, of this entire episode, and I would say Ted's entire arc, throughout the entire series so far is that he, the reason he's afraid to be with his son is because he's afraid of his son leaving him someday. And that is so powerful. And that is the most powerful thing I think in the entire series, because that never would have occurred to me, but I'm also not a parent. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a dog. I'm a dog mom, but you know, it's not the same. Uh- <laughs> you, you say that. You say that. Heidi, say that. And also, one of the big reasons. Well, first up, I can't confirm you're a dog mom. I'm not saying that you just say that, but you don't have a dog. One of the reasons that I don't get animals is because of that mm-hmm. exact thing. I don't want yeah. to have to deal with the loss mm-hmm. yeah. that is coming later. Which Ted, yeah, 
his his journey of using positivity as this tool of control because he is so scared of everyone leaving him, which has mm-hmm. kept him from having meaningful relationships. He's mm-hmm. had these superficial relationships and ultimately and he's doing it with his son. Yeah. And it answers it answers. Sorry, really quickly. It answers so many questions about why he hasn't left already. Right. And whether or not that was the writers trying to figure that out of why he hasn't or whether it came from a genuine place. I think it's probably both is that literal saying of like, my wife left me, my dad left me, everyone leaves me that I love and that it's important to me. Why would I connect with my son as deeply as I could? And, and why this literally having an ocean between us protects me from the devastation of someday he's going to leave. Like it's, it's so deep and watching Jason Sudeikis play that scene. I have to go. I I, I do, maybe I am projecting, but I'm like, I feel like that's you and that's really you. And I feel like that oh, is a real, real intrusing to something going on with you. Which uh, I, as think, a person. I, I, I think that notion is such a powerful character motivator. And uh, please understand, the, the, these are our, our, our structural quibbles, but I would have, the, the question is, why is Ted here? Has mm-hmm. been for a while. What the heck is it? And the show has just kind of been I would have loved them to have figured this out way before now. Around. And I think there's a very powerful notion if the show is actively playing that Ted is kind of staying away because he is now keeping himself safe mm-hmm. from engaging. That pain. Um, and per- perhaps it was playing that. Uh, like a lot of decisions this season has just kind of been uh, opaque and I just haven't noticed it unless I go back and can chalk, Oh, this decision, this decision, this decision, this decision. But I think there's a, a, and also gives the character a little bit more um, agency as opposed to the kind of the passive character that he has seemed this season. He's been such a passive character this season. It's, it's wild. How instead, this, no, this notion is so powerful, and instead it is Ted going, I'm choosing to stay in Richmond because I don't know the kind of person that I'm going to be mm-hmm. if I return. It also calls back to the Philip Larkin poem is that when she, when Mary was telling him that, she wasn't just telling him that about his mother, but in, or, in the way to protect himself against losing Henry, he's going to cause Henry issues, you know? So it's like this cycle. And when um, Bex has talked about it before in our podcast of like generational trauma, you know, like passing it down. Okay, so when we're in the Men's City game, there's another moment where we have this sort of full circle things coming around back to the first season. Because in the first season, when Jamie gets benched, right, the player Ted picks to go in for him is Robbie Roberts, uh, which we Uh know because we did a whole episode on the book that Robbie gets um, from Ted when they get the book gift. Uh, Andrea spotted what his book was from the cover. Um, anyway, so in the Man City game, there's this Robbie Roberts because when when Jamie is hurt, they tell Robbie Roberts he's the one warming up, Mark, right? And Robbie he's the one Robert. we're about to put in the game. And Ted is like, nope, 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 hold it, you you hang on just a minute, and holds Robbie off to give Jamie time to get better, makes him play with ten men for a while so that Jamie can go back in. And I just love that that was that that little, um, uh-huh. you know, Ted replaces him, and then Ted chooses to to definitely not replace him, and it's the same player. Mm-hmm. I like that. 
I see why Robbie Roberts was the one that was absolutely bawling during the movie. Like he had tears streaming down his face. It was in the middle of the the scene. That's Robbie Roberts. Wasn't even aware that Robbie Roberts was a player. This yeah, me neither. I was like, who is this random extra? Are they just loving on this extra or what? Yep, loving every minute of it. Um, Speaking of Jamie playing uh, in Manchester, they keep saying this is the first time they that he's played since he's left. But what was last season? But they they played in the FA Cup, right? They didn't play in Manchester. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Right. They played at Wembley. That's, that's correct. Right. They played them at Wembley. So that was the first time home. Yeah, it was at the home ground for the first time. Yeah, the the Etihad Stadium there in in <laughs> in Manchester. Yeah, where mm, where okay. they would not have played in season two because they weren't in the same. You do a every every team in the Premier League will play a home and an away with every other team in the Premier League. You only play the teams sort of outside of that in one of the big cup competitions or if you're having well yeah. like i said football's not my role but you know whose role it is james fight that's right it's another rousing session of football fight night football expert james fight each week contributes to our fair podcast, letting us know the ins and the outs of what the heck is going on football-wise. And this episode, Mom City, is absolutely no different. James, what you got for us? And then, you know, I read it. James doesn't read it for me. So here we go. First off, Sleepless in Seattle is not better than You've Got Mail. That's my movie hot take. Uh, Was hoping for a little bit more commentary that's related to your experience as a high school football coach, but okay. Jamie has a great game. Obviously, it's the narrative beat in the app, and to speak like the kids for a moment, his moves are straight fire. James says, Is his name Sweeney Todd? Because he is cutting people left and right. Just let that sit there for a moment. It's just great ball control. Colin's goal is spectacular! Bumbercatch's assist was well-placed, and when I pause to look at the pass, Khan is wide open. Big fail on Man City's part. But you can't leave anyone that open at the top of the 18, the big box. Man City's goalie should not have rushed Colin. If he had stayed on his line, it would have been an easy save, but since he came off his line, it allowed Colin to score a really pretty header. Jamie was the linchpin for that play. Without his foresight, it would not have happened. Next point. My man Van Dam, what a game, you beautiful bastard. The soccer god has heard our prayers. Editor's note, Pele? He had so many phenomenal, the editor being literally me this episode. He had so many phenomenal saves, not just good, but mind-blowingly good. The hashtag worked. We did it, y'all. We got the justice we needed for Van Dam. I can't properly articulate how much this meant to me. Van Dam kept them in the game the whole time, never lost focus, and was a brick wall. I almost woke up my neighbors yelling in pure joy when I watched it because he had a great game. Kenny, you have to read this like you imagine how excited I am. I don't care if you have to go back and reread everything that people need to know. Anyway, this is what real goalkeeping looks like, and it's beautiful. Thank you, James. Jamie saving the goal is just great teamwork. You as a goalie have to take those chances to come off your line and punch the ball. Thank God Jamie was there. Van Dam is still amazing, though. Jamie should not have gotten back in the game. Like, I get it, both for story and the whole, no, I can't let my team down. But, like, don't mess up his body. 
playing with 10 is such a dumb thing. Ted, you're lucky Van Dam was on fire. Don't play hurt. Don't be like Roy. You should be able to walk upstairs in your 30s. Next bullet. Based on the crowd's reactions, Van Dam made three more saves off screen while Ted gave Jamie a pep talk. Next point, Ted, don't play with 10 people when you are only up by one. Jamie's ball control is insane. He beats four people and then scores hot. Damn. Then a great play from Isaac. Oh, now you sub for Jamie with like three minutes left. And then James notes here scuffs and rolls eyes. Okay, maybe there's closer to six or seven minutes left based on stoppage time, but hard to tell. Jamie scored into the 88th minute. Just feels not great for the player who has to sub for Jamie. Ooh, you get to play for a few mins. I hate that shit. And I'm sure that's exactly the way that James said it. For real, Van Dam was the MVP. He had at least seven huge on-screen saves. And once again, James, just one more time, hashtag justice for goalies. It looks like justice has been done. And if you want to thank James for bringing justice to Van Dam, or really just do his contributions for LassoCast, go follow him at TEHFatGhost on Twitter, or just look up James Fight. Once again, that's been a rousing success with Football Fight Night. Unless you think that our vacationing co-host didn't even bother to watch this episode. Well, I got sour news for you, Jack. Here's a new segment. It's the Road's Notes Taken. The road is long. With a man That's right. John and Sai sent me some notes about this episode, and I'm going to read them to you real quick, just so we can feel that parasocial connection. Uh, here we go from Johnny. Buzz me out that Nate literally did nothing to earn the team's forgiveness, but I'm always a fan of forgiveness, nonetheless. This episode started out rough, wasn't digging how similar Ted was to his mom. I prefer the illustration of subtle traits we pick up from our parents, but as it went on, I see it was necessary for their story. Love the Jamie stuff, except for the cartoon crying in the boot room. Roy Keeley, Jamie Thruple, let's do this! Beard is MVP. Glad to see some football and glad to see Van Dam own. And the episode ended strong and can't wait to see them wrap this up. And from Psy, such an interesting use of an hour. They seemed to lay the foundation for many a wrap-up, some of which felt earned, others not so much. And then uh, I'll try and say this in my best Psy voice. Oh, Nate. Nate, Nate, Nate. He left his coaching job and starts working as a waiter with his GF at his favorite restaurant. Is there nothing else to this man? <laughs> I think I would have rather him take it up any other pastime, but alas, I guess it was still a means to come to Jesus-style end. Yeah, that makes sense. As for his pending return to Richmond, the idea of the players rallying for him was odd, but Beard's speech regarding second chances was moving enough for me to let it all slide. Jamie, Roy, and Keeley are truly the three best friends that anyone could ever have, and I'm here for it. Not sure I believe this Chelsea Stadium would boo Jamie one moment and then instantly cheer for him the next, but I'm happy he got his groove back. Also, very happy to see his father appears to be in rehab. Healthy choices beget healthy relationships. Unknown on Roy and Keeley. I'm not sure Keeley's ready to hop back into a relationship, but I'm open to it. Ted and his mother's conversation was a little too perfect, but I like that they had an honest adult conversation. Very relatable. Lastly, 
Is it too obvious that Ted's leaving? It seems like all signs point to bye-boo. But perhaps the writers have given us a well-played red herring. I guess we'll find out. And finally, that's all. Kisses, Kenny. Sai, thank you so much for that. And once again, folks, that's The Road's Notes Taken. The road is long with the many One thing that did throw me from that scene, though, is when um, Ted and Beard kind of like fanboy over meeting Pep. And I'm like, uh, yes, okay, I know we on the show haven't seen Pep, but shouldn't he have shaken hands with him like the other season? <laughs> Or was like Pep out on leave, on leave or something. He just coincidentally happened to be on vacation every single time. Yeah, right. Yeah, but we did we did see Pep. But, I was expecting a uh, total football to match up against total football, but uh, yeah. Ted Lasso only cares about football enough where it's an extension of the character. I love how nobody else is doing it. It's like it's extremely successful. No one else is doing it. I'm <laughs> just like, That's why? You know, it's extremely difficult. It's not. That, hey, again, news to me. I could tell you about movies. Did you know that they were watching You've Got Mail? So that's a little piece of trivia. Yeah, but did you know that Sleep with Seattle is a far superior movie? Did you know You've Got Mail was actually based on a Jimmy Stewart film from the 40s called The Shop Around the Corner, which is just fantastic. I did actually know that. Indeed, which is based off of a play from the turn of the century. Oh, my God. Everybody stop telling me that email was around at the turn of the century email was around at the turn oh my uh, team sorry, play on, at on the, the titanic turn of the 20th on the titanic century. they were like guys could you send something out here be our, be send, send. oh my wi-fi is bad my week well the original version of a shop around the corner uh was done with pigeons and papyrus which As is a little be. kind of a little easter egg well it's really more of an avatar sequel if you think about it uh some quick kendall nuggets uh on the roy jamie uh keely storyline uh whenever they're sneaking keely makes sure <laughs> keely was sneaking and roy was just being roy skulking which is hilarious roy was skulking skulking uh in the press conference sam does not want to get unplugged from the matrix yeah um, interesting and there's the call back to the is there a question here but instead of is this a fucking joke there was is this a dream i believe <laughs> i missed that thank you what was um, up with the giant moon of, in that scene, okay. by the way, where they're smoking? Around City's blue moon. Thank you. Also, the team man said, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm assuming that was the real coach, by the way, that was like, we just want these boys to have a good okay. game. Yeah. And I'm like, that feels like something you're telling that coach to say so he looks good. That's yeah. the real yeah. coach, right? Guardiola, and he was probably quoting Trent Crim's article that he when, wrote about yeah. uh Ah, good call, good call. Yeah, because the show has kind of been building up to Pep over the course of three seasons in in so many ways, really. Pep? Pep, his name is Pep Guardiola. Thank you. Uh, And now we finally got to see Pep, and that's uh, kind of a big deal. Let's see, what else? Keely looking fit. And uh, Ken, uh, the bus driver, we see him, and Beard says, you should see him in drag. I think a great- That's season four right there. Yeah. Mm Uh, one last thing uh, regarding Ken's drag name, it should be Kendall. Uh, yes, Michaela. Kendall, love. Sorry to interrupt there. I was excited. Um, no, please. Michaela, do you have blanket permission to interrupt me literally anytime? Oh, okay. I'm writing that down. Get you to sign that for me. Um, 
Jamie's dad in his phone last season was in as dad with quotation marks around it. But when you see him text his dad at the end of this episode, those quotation marks are gone. Okay, here I want to interject my biggest pet peeve of television and texting. Is why oh, hold on, why... hold on, Bex, real quick. Uh, you have to officially, it's a lasso cast way now. You kind of have to relabel it as a bee in your bonnet. Okay. <laughs> There's like a whole like wasp of, or a whole nest of bees in my bonnet here. That's right. Okay. Bee in my bonnet. It is not the first time you have texted this person. Do you delete your entire text history every time Thank you text someone? You. No. Who does that? Who does that? Okay. Ted's phone. Ted's phone has some history that's cool but people like they text their mom like it's the first time they've ever texted them kenny's losing his goddamn mind right now no and look this example with jamie and his phone (laughs) and his father is one (laughs) but it happens across the board tonight oh Oh no across across the board sure across the board sure uh i allow i un unburden your bonnet so the bee can buzz freely but what do we have established jamie deletes everything in his phone for security and service that is true fair enough but he's not the only one that he's not like oh no 100 queen of course you're correct as per always (laughs) but that's why it could look like that it's a fresh text history in this one instance but of course you're right you're you're queen we stand alleged (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's one of my big, like, I don't understand, like, yeah, if you're texting, like, there's another show I'm watching, The Power, right, with Tahib in it, um, mm, and there, we just finished it, and in one of the episodes, this, like, anonymous internet person texts somebody, and of course, it's the first time they reach out to him, so that makes sense, but when it's someone, like, if Roy and Keeley were texting each other and there was no text history gotcha. or, you know, like reaching out to, to t- if Nate decided to reach out to Ted or something, like there's mm-hmm. no way it's the first time they've ever texted. Nate texts Jade, but it's their first he, he time that they've me. ever texted. Yes, I know this is this is another, but my only, like, honestly, I really love this episode. My only real pet peeve, not pet peeve, just structurally, be in my bonnet, be in my bonnet. On it. Uh, my only real thing that kind of was like not a surprise but just like kind of like it's like why now jamie like why now are we having this and it's like i know they're going back to to man city but it's another one of those little structural things with this series in the season that i would have liked just building. like yeah i just would have liked to seen that building a little bit more it kind of came out so of left I, I mean my thought is those kind of things can absolutely just come out of nowhere when you're not expecting it when you don't think anything is wrong that's true just like ted's panic attacks did in the mm-hmm. earlier season it's just something and and this is something new for jamie it's not something that he's ever allowed himself to feel and so now that he's like opened himself up to feeling he doesn't know what to do with it he doesn't and know then- how to cope with it no, that's and- fair that's fair I agree with both points where it feels it it feels odd and um, it feels odd and weird structurally. I would have liked to have seen this towards the beginning of the season. And also I would have loved if they had just put, I don't know, made it. I'm a fan of being unsettled. Maybe just made it a little bit more on the nose. Quick question. 
in that scene where those two guys are like, his dad would have loved this, and then they cheers each other like he's dead. But then there's a scene. Don't have alcohol. Well, yeah, they yes, have then because he can't drink, so he's he's basically dead. Right, but what what's up with that scene right afterwards where it shows some guy watching it and what looks like either a sober house, a mental institution. That's Jamie's dad. That is Jamie's dad. So they were cheersing that he was gone, but he's actually not gone. He's in a place. In Am I seeing that correctly? Rehab. He's in rehab. Yeah. But okay. I also, the film language was telling me, oh, wow, Jamie's dad's dead. Yeah, it was a very weird situation. You're absolutely meant to get that impression because to them, he is dead, right? He's no longer hanging out with them and drinking because he's trying to clean up his act. And so they're, it's not like literally like, oh, yeah. he's dead to them. Yeah. But I'm just so curious. Time, that relationship is broken. Right. right. I guess I'm just, it was a weird film language thing and it was just confusing. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I, I'm also like, why? But that's just a side thing. Like, it's like, why did you decide to get finally get sober after all these years? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So it was trying to show that everyone has a human side to them, right? Even in the right. last episode when we see Rupert and Rebecca and that whole thing with Edwin Akufu, it's like, not to say that you sympathize with Rupert or that you forgive him, but you can see another, like an actual side to him. And to me, before these last two episodes, the only two characters that I didn't have any, think had any redeeming qualities were Rupert and Jamie's dad. And now, like, you're seeing another piece of them, right? Everyone has another piece to them. I was going to hop in and say, you know, sort of immediately prior to that or not immediately but just before that you know we have jamie's mom telling jamie your dad is never going to change right but the theme of this episode we get the end you know all you can hope to do most of the time is tie but you have to keep playing like i i think this idea that no one is beyond redemption and it could happen at any point i mean ideally you don't get to the point where you need to be seriously redeemed like james tart um but i i do think showing that that's possible for anyone the show loves a redemption arc um Uh but yeah, making that a possibility. And, you know, maybe maybe it won't stick for him. Maybe he'll go back to being a complete shit. It happens all the time. But I, I did mm-hmm. actually like that little touch. I mean, this this episode is definitely about the redemption, right? Because you have to lead up to Coach Beard's gigantic revelation. Oh, not only I went to prison, which it's always been like funny how crazy he is. And he still loves drugs, not like meth. He likes like shrooms and weed and like quote unquote more natural stuff i guess that people are sort of down with but it's like you know he was a method which you know in kansas not that's a lot of what's happening there right now is people are going down really bad routes and unfortunately that's a very true thing um and then he gets and then he reveals he gets out of prison he finds ted and immediately steals ted's car so not only is he like it's like double whammy and that idea that oh shit even nate what he did is not beyond forgiveness, not beyond redemption. My only shock or surprise is that I'm surprised Ted didn't do more this season to try to repair that relationship because he's so used to taking care of everyone else. It almost seems out of character that he didn't. And yet I'm loving that we get this giant reveal from Beard, which a massive reveal about him as a character and how powerful that he's forgiving him it's just and he puts his head to his head and it's just like i am you you are me we are the same don't fuck this up well speaking of redemption arcs i think it's a great time to officially go to our final story arc which is 
neat story. Nick the Great. Uh, Nate the Great and his girlfriend that I still don't fully understand the relationship. That's now, okay. <clears throat> what possible jobs could there be for the former head coach of one of the largest football organizations in the entire world? <laughs> of course, being a waiter at Tootie. <laughs> so That's right. Nate goes to work at A Taste of Athens, much to the shock of literally everyone. Seeing an opportunity, cause Colin, Isaac, and Will the Kit Man go to recruit Nate to return to Richmond. But... Nate's not sure if he wants to return. After some gentle encouragement from his girlfriend and an impassioned speech from Coach Beard, Nate makes the decision to go back to Richmond to coach one game. It's a shock to me that people thought Nate wasn't going to be redeemed because he had an iPhone and Apple doesn't let villains have iPhones. That's fantastic. Now, You're did anyone best. have the same reaction whenever I watched this episode, which is whenever Colin... Isaac and Will Kitman show up and say, we want you to come back to play for Richmond. I, I genuinely had to stop. I thought it was a dream sequence. And just be like, is this show about to go off the rails? Not because off the rails, no. I just thought uh, it was a dream sequence. I, th- I thought this episode was quite good. And also, I just, I was, like I talked about in the previous episode, the fact that Nate left West Ham off screen was mm-hmm. shocking to me. And I think the that's fact- a reveal we're getting in the, in the next episode as a retrospective reveal as to what I think it's linked to Miss Cakes and all this. I think we will get that. I, I hope so. That that was a question that I was freaking asking last episode, which is why why are there so many character beats that are but for me, I feel that they are important, that we mm-hmm. need to feel them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why are they happening emotionally off? What? Why are they happening off screen? What is? What are they trying to say? Having I think those a, pieces happen off screen. Here's my theory: we're going to see a Trent Krim thing next, where we're going to see the beginning of a book. We're going to see an article or something where he's going to start talking about stuff, and we're going to start seeing beats that we've missed all season that we're going to see from him observing and writing about these different things that are going on. We may not see like the audio and all of them. He may be narrating. My hope or my thought is that next episode is going to be an hour and a half is what I'm guessing based on this one being an hour and 11 minutes. I think the next episode will be around an hour, 20, hour and 30. I, I think, think it's going to be the first Ted Lasso episode that's going to be three hours and has an intermission. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think that- I back up that thought, though, because Trent yeah. does say I'm hearing words of stuff happen that happened at a West Ham. Yeah, about there being some. So yeah, I think I, I think, I think we're right. going to see, or at least that's what I think structurally should happen. Whether or not it will, I don't know. But well, I agree, it felt also, very out of nowhere for that to happen. And then not only that, uh, but please stop me if it's uh, harsh in anyone's bias, because genuinely I don't want to do that. Uh, and please understand, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it and get some catharsis because it's just so baffling to me. They say that Higgins was the one to send Colin, Isaac, and Will Kitman out, which is a great move, a tactical move from Higgins being like, I think we need this guy because now he's a free agent. Look at what he's done for West Ham. We could use this tactically for us. Let's make this move. Let's make this gesture. Just doesn't seem very Higgins, though. He always goes. I don't pick he, up on that. He always he reporting on it. He always goes to boss lady first before doing stuff. Almost always. Yeah. I thought he said, "I've heard that they went, not I sent them." Yeah, I heard that too. I think that they were not his little birds, though. I think it was just him hearing it. 
Mm. Well, I like my version better. Um, and I should have written Ted Lasso. I have a couple complete non sequiturs that I just wanted to, if I destroy your editing, I apologize, um, put in there because there were a couple things that I really, really loved, but they don't have anything to do with this, but I have to go. <laughs> Can I pop those in? Please. The first thing right at the beginning of the episode, I heartily endorse Cheryl Barnaby quoting fucking Lady Gaga, living her best life. <laughs> I love that so much. I, I love the older woman just out to have fucking fun. I love her. That was her that went on a date with Roy. Like she bought him at the gala, right? Same woman. Oh, right. Whistle, whistle. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, Call. You know, we, we often talk about we want to see women reading on the show more. We haven't got a lot of that. But something I did like about this episode is women fucking eating. <laughs> Rebecca and Jade just both destroyed fucking kebabs. Marcia. Absolutely. And yeah. no shame. There's no shame <laughs> about food in this show. Subtle. Just, just mm -mm. eat that food. Beard has entangled life. It has reappeared on his desk, which I think is just such a great commentary on how everyone is becoming sort of entwined and enmeshed back together again. Mm -hmm. uh, and silly. I thought nothing would top Higgy Stardust for my favorite names that Ted has for Higgins all year, but Higgs Boson. Higgs Boson. So good. Yeah, so God Particle. Fucking love that. Um, yeah. So anyway. Oh, and, and the single less best line delivery in the episode was Rebecca at the game talking about Freddie Mercury flipping straights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does flipping straights mean? That was my question. What is that? Fucking straight, guys. Oh! <laughs> that's fun! So he's turning people gay, Freddie Mercury doing that. Yeah. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean he's, you know... Sure, I like, mean, I'm, I'm saying that in like a non-PC, like what they mean totally, by flipping yeah. straights kind of... Yeah, Heidi way. tells it like it is. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he, tra he transcends sexuality for him, okay, because I have a bad David for Bowie, him. baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bowie. I have yum, a bad yum. for him. Anyway, I love you all. I have to run. Bye, Marina. Bye. Bye, Marina. Love you. Love, love. So going back to the sending Isaac, Colin, and Will, or having those three go... I didn't find it out of, like, out of turn in any Me way. Either. Because I think something that the team has learned, or at least this is how I read it, that they've learned throughout their time with total football and just their growth over this whole season, right? So why send those three? Isaac is the captain. Mm -hmm. Fair. Colin is the person that... Um, he targeted probably even more so than Will. Mm -hmm. um, and Will is the first one that he extended an olive branch to, or a lavender sprig, if you will, right? And so those, <laughs> the triangle. So those three people, like instead of sending Sam and Jamie and Zoro, or excuse me, Van Dam, like you send these three because they're the three that really represent the reasons why Nate would either come or go uh -huh. right? or why he would either come back or stay away. And, and, you know, I know, I think it was Andrea brought it up earlier about each of their, their roles in terms of their relationship with Nate, but I think also their relationships with themselves and the team is a part of it, right? Colin has grown a lot. Confidence is a lot stronger. I think I think it worked only because of the journey that the whole team has gone on throughout the season. Here's the wild thing. I I I straight up loathe that scene. And also I think somehow it works in the episode, which is so it, it's it's mind-boggling and I think it's because Nate is reticent and it just holds tight. 
Um, and also it gets to this weird part of Nate. All of Nate's redemption seems to happen uh, off screen. It sits weird with me. What's up, Heidi? Uh, agreed. I think Nate has gotten, just like Healy, has gotten sort of the short end of the stick this season. Um, they And they could have spent so much more time. And I don't like how much stuff has happened off screen to Nate. That being said, I just thought of something because I agree with you. That scene was weird and out of place. And it, I was glad the rest of the episode was better after that because I was really afraid that was going to kind of set the tone yeah. for the whole, the whole uh, episode. But notice when he turned around. And at first, I thought it was just a bit. But notice when he turns around and his girlfriend's gone, right? And then mm-hmm. another time that happens again later, his girlfriend's gone. And both times, it's when people are questioning him about why he's a waiter, essentially, and what he's doing there. And like, where, oh, you were a coach and why aren't, like, just that kind of questioning him. And then she's gone. My thought is she called them and she has been putting stuff into motion to try to get him, like, just like yeah. how she got him fired. Maybe that is a stretch. I'm absolutely fine if that is a stretch, but that is a thought that just crossed my mind that she maybe is a little more involved in all of this than we think. I think we have to look at the scene as well. When he's getting introduced by Derek to the two patrons who are sitting in the like, oh, was it drugs? <laughs> um, well, basically, it? he introduces them as the, the Wonder Kid, and Nate has always said in reply to that in the past, I, I did say Wonder Kind. And this time he says, yeah, I said Wonder Kid. And it's like a small, you know, you're see. we are seeing, I, I get what you're, you're saying about a lot of it happening off screen. And I do hope that, that some of that is retrospectively addressed in the last episode. But we're seeing a lot of Nate's performance and his, and his sort of regret and the loss of his hubris is very subtle, mm-hmm. like almost too subtle in some places. But I, no, I, I love, I like that scene with, I was okay with that scene. Yeah, I really liked it too. That's why I feel like, it, you know, a lot of things that have been happening this season, maybe I have what Marita was talking about. It's like, it's something I love, so I'm finding mm-hmm. it hard to to be like, I'm, and I don't think I'm not critical of it. I don't no, you, think, no. you know, I, I dig into the analysis of it, but like, I just, I do really love, I, I've found purpose behind each of these scenes and moments, even if instead of making it an eight uh episode season as you were talking about is they really stretched this out and had maybe broken it down into yes. four full seasons i i think that this episode alone has episode. two storylines or two episodes rather 100 yeah. percent two episodes yeah and it could have been tighter 30 ish minute episodes which is what we actually want i think tighter like the strings on their wiener i, mean, I would watch an hour and a half of ted lasso every week i don't Same. i don't mean yeah. tighter no, I'm just I, I do. I need more but that's that is a film TV brain person thing. I, I want them to be I mean I have I have a screenwriting world building. Yeah. I, I think we have equated criticism to just well, I, I think also the pervasive vein of popular criticism recently has just been it's fun to dunk on something. And to be fair, it is. And also it can be. I, I think uh it can't oh boy, it can be. Oh, uh, and also <laughs> for me, whenever I love something, I-, I can find flaws in something and also love it all the same. I yeah. have such a wild, weird relationship with this show that has forever changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that is so special and so personal. Mm-hmm. When I and... love something, I want it to be its best. I think that's what it is. I'm like, be yeah. the best version of what you are, Ted Lasso. And there are times where they crush it, and there are times where I'm like, 
No. I think just like with Ted, you have to, <laughs> you know, you have to accept its flaws. You have to be, and, and I think that's kind of what you're saying, Kenny, is you can do both. Yeah. Right? Ted tries to put on this image that everything is perfect and everything is fine, and it's not. And and it can never, it, it can't always be that, right? So I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I just, I really, really enjoyed even the sort of quirky off screen. Like, I feel like that when things happen off screen, it's because they think that we don't need to see it because we're smart enough to figure it out, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, who knows? Maybe in the next episode, we will get what, Ted and Rebecca actually having their conversation, but I don't think so don't because think we, we don't need it. We don't need we that. We don't need it. We didn't need Colin coming out yes. to the team because we already knew that's what was going to happen. I do think that and a discussion with the entire team about should we bring Nate in? Mm -hmm. I would have liked that very much. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'll give you that. A couple episodes ago, they torpedoed a game. Because they hated Nate so much. Yeah, I don't. But then he said sorry to Will. Like it a came... lot of that was in the first half of the season. That was early on. Um, that was like Zava was still around, so it was. It would be nice to see their reaction to what he did for Will, and maybe that would have been, you know, like he did the nice thing for Will. Well, I you think know... that's why Will is part of it, right? Yeah, he really went to the team and said the stuff. Like I, I'm okay with having to assume those moments personally i don't know i guess i'm just i'm just too much of like a staunch defender of it i it, maybe there's things that i should be more critical of uh i think i yeah uh, i think i can see both sides well to that. yeah and that's more than anything as i get older because in my early look when i was younger i was like hey, look my opinions are right at all times everyone else's is wrong and Whenever I say something sucks, it sucks. But I genuinely enjoy hearing different views. I need to hear different views if they are done in good faith. I want to, I want to asterisk that one. Yeah, with the biggest Agreed. asterisk that you can see in space, because there's such yeah. a thing about trying to engage with other different viewpoints because they go, well, you just need to hear different viewpoints, but they're done in bad faith. That's uh -huh. this where you are engaging with the text. I don't know. You're, you're, you're wearing your biases on your sleeve and you're going, I, I know that I might not be objective, but I don't care. And yeah. that's the point of art. The, the point of art is to make you, well, I, I certainly, there's a multitude of, reasons for art not even that art needs a reason but gosh darn it one of the base functions of art is that you you feel you need to feel something and yeah. at the end of the day look this just makes me I freaking love this show mm -hmm. so much and gosh darn it i love this conversation i love y'all y'all book club y'all thanks for coming on the show yeah same uh, I have so enjoyed getting to meet you guys. It has been wonderful Same. to help co co Kenny on this one. Co Kenny, co tag team. Not what does it mean? Co tag team. Co tag team. Co co host. Co -host. Co -host. There we go. For some reason, could not think of that. I've loved getting to co host this with you guys. And yeah, I mean, we could talk about this episode probably another yeah. hour because it's it's just so chonky and delightful. It's so dense. Every single image has so much going on. 
here's the thing. I love when people love the show unapologetically yeah. and they aren't as critical as people like me and Kenny are because of just the way that we think is so it is, it's just, there's a different brain wave that we have in terms of it. And I think it's great that we talk to people like you who are into the minutia and you see all the details, but you're just like, no, fuck, I love it. I accept it as it is. And I love that. So thank you for, for that. Found out that Robbie Roberts is a player on AFC Richmond. Exactly. I appreciate that because I feel like recently I've been struggling listening to all the pods because I'm like, but why is everyone so negative? What am I missing? Like, I feel like I'm not missing things. I'm just, but I, I like the way. Yeah, it's a different I, point and of This view. becomes the difficult thing about whenever a piece of art kind of accidentally becomes a part of your identity and it's, mm. it, it can it can feel very personal and yes. like it's an attack on your yes. character as opposed to what it is which is this is not a uh-huh. personal art. assessment about you it is it, it, it it's an extension of feeling it's our, our viewpoints are statements about ourselves about the way that we connect with the world unless you thought yeah. that fast x was a really good movie in which case you it's are bad it is gosh it's bad, bad. Sorry, it's real note. bad but other than that bex you're you're great and it's all art and you can think whatever you want <laughs> Please. I have never seen any of those movies, so I'm all set. I mean, listen to Heidi and Bex's uh, new podcast, The Bex and the Furious. The Bex and oh the Furious. What a day! I was just, I was just going to say, I think I'm grateful for ADHD and being able to compartmentalize because I am a screen writing, particularly sitcom screenwriting junkie. I am obsessed with it. Oh, I've read all the books. I know the structure. I love it, but I am able to switch my brain, that side of my brain off. So that um, I don't have to see how the sausage has been made and I can enjoy things, oh, you know. You lucky devil. I'm grateful for that. You lucky devil. I wish my brain mm-hmm. did that. Yeah, I can yeah, walk out I the sausage. And I always look at things as, as literature, like like a TV show is a book for me. It's and, mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. And, and so I, like, that's why I don't need to have everything spelled out along the way. Like I've noticed a lot of people online really wanting to have everything spelled out along the way waiting for the story to finish being told and yeah. then i can um then i can go back and decide okay you know what and that's why i'm getting to the point where i'm like okay what was the point of shandy i'm still not really truly seeing that yeah i've got one more chapter to go right mm-hmm. and maybe there's a sequel maybe there's like a, a companion novel that goes along with or maybe it's fanfic that's just for you you know what I mean? Maybe that's some fan fiction that's just for you. Absolutely. No, I completely, I completely see that and I completely hear that. And I, as a dyslexic person, I don't love reading. So uh, everything is not books to me. Everything is actually movies and TV shows to me. But I love that. I love that analogy. But if you do love reading, or do love superlative analysis and deep dives about not just the themes of Ted Lasso, but literature and film and art in general. I'm doing your plug for you. Uh, go listen to Coach Beard's Book Club. It is an outstanding podcast. It is genuinely some of my favorite analysis. And I say this as a ravenous devourer of various, as Heidi can attest to, a ravenous devourer of just art analysis and criticism. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is genuinely some of the best out there. Not just for Ted Lasso, but just the best. Period. That uh, is a super amazing compliment. Very kind. <laughs> I I mean it. Um, well, hopefully you enjoy our next episode, which um, is coming out the same day as this one, where we covered the miracle of Castel di Sangro, which was mm. the first book that appeared in season three. We were like, oh. 
we have to do a season three one. So that's the first book you see in season three, episode one. It's wild. But how wild? How are you guys reading this so fast? Are these books? We we do about a month between each episode. Oh, We're not, okay. Um, so it's not like every week. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I was like, holy mackerel! I was like, I'm dyslexic, no, but no. seriously, how do normal it's people? Final exams right now. I'm in the middle of grading things. I am. <laughs> no, if we had to do one of these a week, week, I would be having a Jamie level meltdown every week. Oh jeez. So, oh jeez. Yeah. No. And sometimes we have to wait longer because the library does has the book on hold, or you know, it's a lot of. Pages. But it takes me ages to read a 700 page book. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's why we do intersperse it with films on occasion and uh kenny was on an episode with us when we discussed frozen frozen definitely check let it, out. it go you know what i'm saying guys? and heidi thanks for pulling co-host duties you also done a superlative job as well uh as an award-winning comedian uh and a screenwriter director uh in your own right <laughs> in uh, film school where- maybe but okay yeah what? You didn't have to add that asterisk. I, I do. You've played internationally as a comedian. Um, Improviser, yep. Mm-hmm. Right, improv comedian. Um, <laughs> is there some place that people can follow you? You can find me on Instagram. That's right. I'm in my 30s. You can find me on Instagram at Heidi in, as a Noel Rogers. That's H E I D I in Rogers. Uh, you can also find my duo, which is probably the thing you more want to follow, which is uh, Kenny Rogers Improv on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Kenny Rogers is the name of Kenny Madison, Heidi Rogers. That is our improv duo. Of course, uh, of course it is. There's oh. a slash in our name. No relation to the singer at all. Yeah. all not a relation to the him. Kenny Rogers Singapore Roasters. No, not at all. So Kenny Rogers Improv here in Austin, Texas. We have shows uh, almost always monthly, if not multiple times a month. Uh, so you can check us out on Facebook and on Instagram at Kenny Rogers Improv. Um, so yeah, and thank you so much for having us on. Oh my yeah, God. thank on you for being Lita here, and Andrea as well. Thank you. We always love Lassocast, so it's wonderful to be invited along. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh my gosh, thank you. Lassocast is produced by Saida Rhodes, edited by Kenny Madison, researched by Kenny Madison. The music is by MG Sound. 